You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Eddie Tilly. Yeah, let's just enjoy that right there. Take that in right there. Uh, that just feels good, don't it? Where are my movers? I need some movers up there. Right, there, you, there you go. There you go. Uh-huh. That's it. That's it right there. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I, I know I look like an old guy, right? I love that kind of stuff right there. Man, that, that just kind of gets your juices flowing. Like, I, I, I appreciate all the music. I listen to all of it, but I love that. Whatever that is, I like that. That's, that's good stuff. I ain't hip enough to know what it is. I just know that I like it. Man, I had to hurry up and, and change topics because Luke did not introduce me that way at 9 o'clock. He was trying to throw me off my A game and get me all emotional before I even got started up here. Um, but he, Luke is just a tremendous, tremendous friend. And I've loved watching him in the March Madness, right? Not so much myself because if you were here last week, I told you my story. I have did a bracket for the first time ever in my life. I said, hey, this basketball thing must be pretty cool. And then I busted on night one. My team, see, the problem I have is I picked one of the top-seeded teams to go all the way. How ignorant is that? In March Madness, very evidently. So my bracket got busted early, but I can honestly say I've watched more basketball than I have watched in my entire life, and I've loved it. It's been so much fun. I mean, think about it. What does it take to go from a field of 64 down to 32, to hit the Sweet 16, to make it into the Elite Eight, and now we're about to head to the Final Four and the championship. And what I've loved about these games this weekend, the Elite Eight games, is it's like you can see a stark contrast. The teams that you see that are winning, you know that they are laser what? Focused, just like I'm laser focused on you people online right now. I'm staring you down right in the camera. They're laser focused. And the other part that you see, because these other teams are playing, they got there the same way that they did, but it's like something's just a little bit off. Like they don't look quite the way they did a couple of nights ago when they play and they won their game to make it to the Elite Eight. Because they're not laser focused. They are, if you're not focused, what are you? Distracted. Exactly. Last time somebody said unfocused. I said, well, yes, that is true. I, I cannot argue with that. Yes. But you're distracted, right? And distraction is just a momentum killer. I can tell you that from personal experience. One of my favorite all-time personal memories is my sophomore, sophomore year in high school playing for the Goose Creek Gators. Yeah, there you go. I had one person in service at 9 o'clock. It is 1981, I'm playing left guard, and we've got a tremendous team. We are on the rise, and we are the talk of the town. We've won all our games. We're headed into, I think this is like not quite midway through the season, and we're undefeated, and the papers are talking about it. Goose Creek is going to go all the way. They're headed to the state champion this year. If they can take down the mighty McKissick and the Somerville Green Wave, right? Because that was the team. I mean, nobody, nobody beat McKissick. And nobody went into the green wave and beat McKissick. And so the game gets there that night, and man, it has been billed as the clash of the titans. It is the game of the century in the Tri-County area. (laughs) 
So everybody wants to be there. They're undefeated. We're undefeated. And y'all, that is something I will never forget in my life. I've been to college games. I've been to pro games. I've never experienced anything like this. The, the, the entire complex was filled wall to wall. No seats. Standing room. Nowhere to move. My sister-in-law was a cheerleader. They couldn't cheer. They could only do this. You couldn't. Keep, there was people. Everywhere, so many people that they opened up the fence that went around the field and they put people in both end zones from the goalpost back to the fence. Wall-to-wall people. And from the moment the national anthem stopped, the roar erupted and it never came down. In the huddle, the quarterback had to yell the play and you had to lean in to hear what the play was. And, man, it was a battle, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, we're coming down to the crunch. Somerville's on top, but we've got the ball on the one-yard line. We're in the huddle, and the quarterback calls the play. And I will never, ever forget the play. He calls the formation, and then he calls the play. 31 give. I'm the left guard. It's coming right here. Right on my hip. And it was like slow motion. The ball was snapped. I took a step. I see the center. He kicks out the nose guard. I watch the tackle take his man. I look up, and there's the linebacker. He's coming hard. He's crashing down in the hole. And I'm thinking, don't mess this up because I had before. He's crashing down in the hole, and bam, I hit him, and I stand him up for a split second. The running back goes into the end zone, touchdown, and the crowd goes wild. I mean, it was just the most incredible victory ever. And, hey, there was a lot of anticipation about this big boy because Saturday morning, everything was already lined up. Parade, baby, down Main Street, Goose Creek. Heck, yeah. Pull out to high school, down Red Bank Road, cross 52 St. James Avenue into Berkeley Square. Bam! Right there. I mean, we had the fire engines, the marching bands were throwing candy for the kids, but it didn't even, it didn't end right there. Monday morning, you get to school, everybody in the hallway, whoa! Well, they're clapping for you, they're high-fiving, they're applauding you. We go out to practice, no practice today, boys. We're celebrating. We got so-and-so wants to feed y'all dinner. So some big group crowd of people feed us dinner. We celebrate. Come back to school Tuesday. Awesome day at school getting celebrated. Tuesday afternoon, no practice today, boys. The mayor's coming. The mayor's going to feed y'all dinner. But, but, uh, so this goes on all week. I think we might have practiced in shorts and shoulder pads on Thursday. Maybe. I can't remember quite. It's been, it's been a little bit. 1981. So Friday night's game. Again, we hit the road, we travel to Battery Creek. Worst team in the conference. Winless. They haven't won a game. And they promptly hand our helmets to us, if you know what I mean. We didn't just get a beaten. We got spanked. And I mean, we got spanked hard. We went into halftime with a whooping, and we came out and got another whooping. And it didn't stop there. We lost the next game and the next game and the rest of the games for the rest of the season. Exactly. Distraction. Man, distraction is, well, let me just tell you, the enemy of all success is distraction. 
I mean, that's just such a story of life, right? Have you ever been going through life and you have this incredible victory? You're standing on top of the world only to go into a season of abject failure. And you're like, what? Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. No, I was just up there. I was on top, remember? Well, you're not there now. But how, how, did, how did I get here? How do, you, how do you fall so far? That's why I love Luke's distraction last, or Luke's uh, illustration last week, because, you know, distraction is an everyday thing, right? Distraction is something every single day. And I love how Luke was talking about the full armor of God. And he says, you know, God calls us every day, put on the full armor of God. And all those pieces are defensive, except for one, which is a sword of the Spirit. And we're to use that for offense, for moving forward, to going into our purpose and our destiny. But he gave the illustration of, he said, I think so many people, they just pick up the shield of faith and then they just take it and they take it and they take it and they take it. And they never pick up that sword and move forward into the purpose and the destiny that God has for them. Well, how do you do that? How do you know what to fight for? Well, unfortunately, I can't tell you that. And here's why. Because God has a purpose and a destiny and design for every single person sitting in these chairs and everybody watching online this morning. And it is as unique as you are. Absolutely unique to you. So there is no way that I can stand on this stage and say, I'm going to show you how to get to your purpose and your destiny. What I can do is I can give you a grid that you can take all the distractions of life and dump them into the top and almost nothing will come out the bottom. And I can help you get to a place where now you can hear God lead you and guide you into your unique purpose and destiny for your life. Is that okay? Y'all want to do that? Let's do that. Let's do that. We're going to start with Jesus because, you know, Jesus actually came up with this. Jesus was uh, doing what he does. He was doing ministry, obviously, and the religious leaders of the day challenged him and they said, all right, look, if you're the son of God, then what is the greatest commandment, the one greatest commandment God has given us? And Jesus replied, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So from that verse right there, we can see step one of this big grid that you need to put everything through is give God first place in your life. Give God first place in your life. Well, Eddie, he's got first place. I'm pretty sure I've done that. Well, I hear that from a lot of people, and I've got a lot of experience. I've got over three decades of doing this kind of stuff, of being in the game, so to speak. I've got my own life experience. I've got the life experience I've witnessed in others. And so I came up with this sort of litmus test, if you will, to put your life up against and see just how first place God is. And it is this. Do you trust God with the first of your money and the best of your time? Yeah, I got that same reaction at 9 o'clock too. I said, man, some people can just go ahead and take that and just go ahead and leave. Say, I'll come back when I get that one straight. <laughs> but do you trust God with the first of your money and the best of your time? Now, let me just say right off the rip, this is not heaven or hell issues. This is not about whether or not you're saved, okay? What it is about is trying to get, I mean, is anybody else like me? Do you wake up in the morning, there's about a hundred different things pulling you in a thousand different directions? We all have it. Everybody does. Doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. So this is about how do I clear that clutter? And the whole thing for the, the first of the money, well, Eddie, why are you using money and time? Because those are the two greatest assets that we all have. 
The two greatest assets you have are your money and your time. And either you will lord over them or they will lord over you. And so this is a way to ensure that they do not lord over you. And when it comes to money, why do I say the first of money? I didn't come up with that. God did. God said in his word, he says, look, the first 10% of what you receive, that is mine. It belongs to me. We say we're going to give the tithe, but God says, that's mine. Okay, I'm giving you all these blessings. That first 10% belongs to me. I want you to give it back to me. Why? Because it's an act of trust and faith. It's showing me that you trust me and that you have faith in me. Because in order for you, before you ever write a single bill, buy a single grocery, do a single thing, write out that 10% that belongs to me first, that takes faith. And when you do that, you're saying you trust me. And then God says, here's what I'm going to do. You, you can't even do this. It's not possible for you to do it. So this is what I do. You give me that 10%, and what you don't realize is that supernaturally, you open up a window in heaven, and what pours out of that window is a blessing that comes down onto your life that you don't even have room enough to contain it. I'll take your 90%, and I'll make it go so far, you'll be shocked and amazed. You won't understand how this is happening the way it's happening, simply because it is supernatural, and you can't do that. So you trust me. Why does it take faith? It doesn't take any faith to get your paycheck, pay all your bills, buy all your groceries, do whatever you're going to do, and then right before the next paycheck, look and say, oh, man, I got 20 bucks left over. I'm going to give that to the church. That's no, there's no faith for that. It takes faith to write off the beginning. And why did God set that up? Because God knew. God knew this would be an issue. God knew that money was going to want to control you. He knew that money was going to want to consume you. He knew that money, money was going to make your hands do this. And he's like, you have got to learn to live your life like this and let it go. All right, so then what about the whole time thing? What do you mean the best of your time? Let me just say, this is different for me. I used to be a first-of-your-time person. First of your money, first of your time, cross the board. It's universal. But then I had this epiphany. You know what? For some of you people, the first of your time is not good time. What I know is that let's say all you husbands in here woke up tomorrow and said, Honey, this is what I'm going to do. From now on, the first hour of my day is all yours. Me and you. I'm just going to give it all to you. Some of your wives would say back to you, well, you know what? I would prefer you take your grumpy behind on into work, get your job done and all the things you're thinking about in your day and what's coming up and what you got to do and what's on your shoulder. Then come home and you've dealt with all of that when you can focus on me and let's spend some time together. Why do I say the best of your time? Because God wants the best. For me, my best time is 5.30 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. Sorry because it's 11.40, so you just got to take what you get. 5.30 to 11.30, the most productive. It's when I'm the most creative. It's when I'm the most visionary. It's when I think the most out of the box. So because those are the best six hours of my day, the first hour of that is all God's from 5.30 to 6.30. And, it, and it's not for me to do what I'm going to do that day. It is for me to try to hear what I said to you. God, I've got these, these, these things, these decisions. I need to know which way do you want me to go because these are, these are things and decisions that I could ask five different people and get five different opinions. These are not distractions. These are literal directions for my life that I need to hear the voice of God and the Spirit of God saying to me, that's what that time is for. 
So the reason I say best of your time is I don't know how, maybe you don't even get cranked until lunch. Maybe your best time is at night. Whenever it is, you figure out when it is, and then you take the first part of that, and you find a way to give that to God and say, God, this belongs to you because I value you and I love you, and I want you to have my best. That's how important to me you are. So trust God with the first of your money and the best of your time. Now, Jesus didn't stop there. They asked him for one. Jesus said, let me just go ahead and throw another one at you. Because the second most important is similar. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. Now, a lot of churches these days have taken that verse and condensed it down into love God and love people. And I, I totally understand that. I love it. It makes it very easy to remember. It's great for vision. It's great for mission. It makes it very easy to communicate campus-wide. But I wanted to put the whole verse in there because there's a very key component to this second step in our process. It's tell me if you can pick it up. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. What is the key to loving your neighbor? Loving yourself. So the second thing we have to do is learn to love yourself. Oh, oh, Eddie, heresy, that's it. You have crossed the line. You have No, you are to deny yourself. You are to put yourself down. I get all that. I understand where that's coming from in terms of selfish ambitions and desires. What I'm talking about is God is saying, Jesus is saying, Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You have, we have got to learn to see what God sees. When you look in the mirror, you need to see what God sees. Let me give you a glimpse into what God sees. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. It is God himself who has made us what we are, masterpieces. You are a masterpiece. Nothing about that says that you're broken. Nothing about that says that you need to, to fix yourself, repair yourself. God says, I created you. I made you. I created you a masterpiece. And he's given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend those lives in helping others. Now, I understand how that can sound in terms of loving yourself. Well, that sounds selfish, Eddie. It is not selfish. But I will, I will say to you and agree with you that we are living at a, at a time and age where selfishness is at an all-time high. And this is the problem, I think, when I think Christians see selfishness. I think when we see a selfish person, we tend to not like that person. I think when we see selfishness, we think, ooh, that's bad. What a Look how selfish they are. But can I challenge you to just pause for a minute and think, what do you think creates selfishness? Emptiness. Now, I'm telling you that from firsthand. When you're empty, everything, everything that you do is about you. I spent the first 25 of my years without a relationship with God, and I had this gaping hole. So even when you saw me doing good, Helping somebody, being a help to somebody. My motivation is I was so desperate. I wanted something from them. And yes, I was doing something good on the outside, but on the inside, it was because I need something. And I need you to give it to me, your approval, your satisfaction, whatever it is. I can't fill this hole. So it is the emptiness that breeds the selfishness. And then it's fueled by loneliness. And we've got this epidemic and this, this vicious cycle going on. And then social media just fuels the whole thing. But can I tell you, social media 
is not the problem. It is not. The problem is the same it's always been from the beginning of time. It's criticism. Just criticism. The difference being is that when, when people were young, say in 18 and 19, you know, people Dr. Schultz's age. When Dr. Schultz was 18, 19 years old, he didn't have to worry about this as much because the only criticism he had to worry about were the people that he had at work or the people he met in passing or going or traveling or whatever it was. Now through social media, everybody is opened up to criticism from the entire world. Because nothing's changed. Nothing's new under the sun. For instance, way back in the day, before there was technology, before there was any modern mode of transportation, whatever, a grandfather and his grandson simply wanted to go into town to purchase some supplies. But it was a long trek, and they had stuff to bring back, so they take the donkey. So while they're on their way, the grandfather takes his grandson, sets him on the donkey. They start on their way. A little ways into their journey, somebody passes by and says, oh, my gosh. Look at that selfish little brat riding on the back of that donkey while that poor old man has to walk. And the granddad was like, oh, I don't, I don't want people to think that. So, so he gets off, he gets, he gets his grandson off, and then, and then he gets onto the donkey. And they head on out their way again. A few minutes later, somebody else passes by. Oh, my gosh. Look at that mean old man making that poor little boy walk while he rides that donkey. And the grandfather's like, no, no I don't, not that either. So he picks his grandson up. Now they're both on the donkey. And they continue on their way. Here comes another passerby. I cannot believe the cruelty I'm witnessing right now. <laughs> that you would put such a heavy burden on the back of that poor donkey. So what do you think happens? By the time they get to town, grandpa and grandson, they're carrying a donkey. Now, can I just be honest with you? Some of y'all need to put the donkey down. <laughs> you do. You need to put the donkey down. But here's the problem. When anywhere in your life where there is confusion, where there is lack of understanding, where there is lack of knowledge, where there is lack of vision, the people perish for lack of vision, anywhere there are these doubts in you, the enemy will exploit those and cause you to think there's something wrong with you. I'm going to go very practical with you now. Let me get super, super practical. And let me, oh, and where am I at in my notes? Let me make sure I'm in the right place. See, I told y'all, we've passed 1130. So I'm trying to, I'm trying, boom, boom, we're there. Got that, learn to see what God, perfect, we're in right. All right. So this is something that we did with my family. And I encourage a lot of people to do. Because to be honest with you, through counseling and everything, I see some of the biggest, most major relationship issues settled when people simply get educated about personalities. When they simply begin to learn how God wired them. Remember in the beginning I said your calling is unique, your purpose, your destiny is unique to you, every single person. Well, also, you're unique from every single person around you. So people around you don't see things the way you do. They don't think the way that you do. And if you don't understand that, you're going to think one of two things. Something's wrong with them or something's wrong with you. But when you learn personalities, you find out, oh, my goodness, we're different. Go to 16personalities.com. 16personalities.com. 
Now, I tell you that website because it's just a fun website. What this is is the Myers-Briggs personality test. If you're familiar with personality tests, this is the Myers-Briggs. But what I love about it is, A, it's free. Um, B, it's just a lot of fun with the animations and all. So do it with your kids, with your whole family. Do it with coworkers. Do it with your small group. But here's what you do. You all take the test and then sit down together and read through each other's descriptions. It's hilarious because now all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, no wonder you think like that. And, and all of a sudden you begin to get validated. You begin to realize, wait a minute, why am I spending so much time and effort trying to be like so-and-so? When this is how God made me, I'm not like, God didn't make me like that. He made me like this. Now, if you want to really take it to the next level, and I'm being completely serious here. If you have children that are about to go into high school or college, this test is not free and it's not cheap, but it is life-changing. It's called the Highlands Ability Battery Test. Take that test. It is absolutely life-changing. And I'm saying this from personal experience. It was probably two decades ago that we had our whole leadership team at, here at the church take, the, oh no, take that slide off. Take, oh no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, my bad. Those poor people back there on the computer. Sometimes I get, I get ADHD. <laughs> so you had it right. So the Highland, we took the Highlands Ability Battery Test because it so helps you understand each other. And we did that to improve our communication, to improve how we interacted with each other, to improve our productivity. And so we all take the test, and then the administrator of the test sat down with us individually and gave us our results. And my wife was with me, and we were both blown away. It's like, this person is reading my mail. I mean, here you're hearing a description written by a person that's never met you in your life, and they are describing you to a T. So again, you just begin to sense and feel, okay, I'm not, there's not something wrong with me. I do see things differently. But the greatest epiphany, one of the biggest just liberating moments of my life was she sat down with the whole leadership team and went through everybody's results together and we were all represented by little dots. So she could pull up a section of the test. You could see all the little dots where everybody was. After three or four slides, I began to see a pattern. Check out this slide, all right? Look at that top line up there. You see that cluster of little dots to the right? And then there's this little dot over to the left. Then you drop down a light, everybody's moved over here, and that little fellow's back over here. That little fellow's me. That was the most liberating thing. And I'm not kidding you guys, because at this point, I'd been on staff for a couple of years, and I'm not lying. I came, and I worked hard, and I put on the good face, but inside, I was tortured. I was like, I, don't, I am not seeing what you're seeing. I don't, I, I'm trying to think that way, but I, I can't think, and I'm trying to work like nothing was working, and it was work. I mean, I, I'm just be honest. I did not look forward to getting up and coming to work because it was, I just thought there is something wrong with me. And I didn't share that with anybody, another dumb idea. I kept it on the inside. But when I saw this, it completely set me free. Because we're all unique. I love the way Miss Descri Dean describes me. Miss Dean is a big part of the reason that I'm up here, that I do the things that I do. And, and a lot of times she'll talk about how creative I am, but she describes it this way. I'm Bubba creative. I love that. Because I am. I'm Bubba creative. I ain't highfalutin downtown Charleston skinny jean thing tight, you know, like tight. I, that ain't me. I can't do that. 
Now, I can get out on a farm and get amongst all the animals and the white-tailed deer. Thank you, Luke. That kind of stuff I love. But I'm telling you, that just liberated, and it set me free, and it caused me to begin to... Now, here's a cool thing. The moment I began to appreciate who I was and how God wired me, it automatically happened out here. All the people around me, I could see it. I could see the individual way that God had wired them, how he had made them. So now I'm not trying to say that they're right and I'm wrong, and I'm not trying to pit my way against their way. I'm realizing, oh, my goodness, God has put together this beautiful mosaic of all these people with all these different personalities, all these incredible combinations and ways of seeing things, and every single one of us have been wired with a purpose and a destiny for our life, and somehow he's weaving it together in a way that only God can do. So I'm telling you, that is very practical advice. Do those tests, do them for yourself, do them for your children. Because here's the problem. When you have that vicious cycle, the selfishness that is bred by the emptiness, that is fueled by the loneliness, and people, the more desperate you get, you'll grasp for anything. And this world has a lot to offer you. And we read about it in 1 John. And this is how John described it. John said, Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love these things, you show that you do not really love God. For all these worldly things, these evil desires, the craze for sex, the ambition to buy everything that appeals to you, and the pride that comes from wealth and importance, these are not from God. They are from this evil world itself, and this world is fading away, and these evil forbidden things will go with it. But whoever keeps doing the will of God will live forever. Now what John is not saying there, there's nothing wrong with these things. There's nothing wrong with sex. God created sex to be enjoyed by a husband and wife in the confines of marriage. Where it goes wrong is when you cross the line and you crave it and you've got to have it at the expense of stepping outside of what God's ordained to get it any way that you can. Websites, other relationships, what that's where now you've crossed the line. And there's nothing wrong with buying things that you want to have. Where it crosses the line is when you got to have it. It's when you have to have it. If I could just have that, then I will be okay. I just got to get, I need that. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with being wealthy or having a position of influence or stature. It's when that crosses the line. And you become prideful, proud of the money you have and the position that you hold. That, my friends, is the fall of Lucifer, where it all began. So there's nothing wrong with those things. It's when we cross the line into the cravings of them. And here's the cool thing. Jesus understands. He gets it. And he gives us the solution in Matthew chapter 6. He said, so don't worry at all about having enough food and clothing. Why be like the heathen? For they take pride in all these things and are deeply concerned about them. But your heavenly Father already knows perfectly well that you need them. And he will give them to you if you give him first place in your life and live as he wants you to. So number three is we have to remove distractions by restoring God. Oh, man, Eddie, your heresy has gone to another level. I cannot believe you're telling me i got to restore God. We don't restore God. He restores us. Let me explain what I mean. 
There's a set of slides that Pastor Mike used to use all the time, body, soul, and spirit, and I love them because he takes our body, soul, and spirit slide, but then he puts this throne on the top. And what that is illustrative of is the fact that something is going to sit on the throne of your life. For the first 25 years of my life, my soul sat in that seat. No fault of my own. I didn't know God. I didn't have Jesus. My spirit was dead. So all I could do is make all my decisions based off of what I think and what I feel. So my soul firmly held the throne of my life. And then one day I got saved and Jesus Christ came into my life and my spirit came alive. And now here's the cool thing that happens. I think that we think that when we accept God into our life, he comes into this place on the inside of us and he kicks out whatever's in that throne and he sits on it. But he doesn't. He wants this kind of intimate relationship with you and I where we take his hand and we invite him to sit on the throne of our life. But I'm going to tell you right now, your soul isn't going to get up out that chair. My soul said, hey, buddy, I've been calling the shots for 25 years. I ain't getting out of this chair. You have to be proactive and say, oh, yes, you are. I'm taking you, my thoughts, my feel, all the stuff that I have. I'm realizing I've, I haven't done, it's made a wreck of my life to this point. So I'm going to have a little leadership change. So I'm going to ask you to step down. If you don't step down, I'm going to move you. And then, Lord, I would love for you to take that place in my life. And that's an everyday thing. It is an everyday thing. So every day we have to put God in his place. Because God is a gentleman. He's a perfect gentleman. And he is not going to forcefully hold that chair. He is not going to forcefully put anything out. He is going to allow you to govern what sits on the throne of your life. But here's the really cool thing. If you and I can become aware of that, and every day just keep putting him back on that throne, keep putting him back on that throne, then now we can begin to hear the voice of God and, and the purpose and the destiny and the plan that he has for your life. Now you're hearing the voice that you need to hear. It's not hard and it's not rocket science. But I do want to give you one last statement that I think will help you do this very easily. I'm going to bring it all the way back around full circle. Trusting God with the first of your money and the best of your time will keep him on the throne of your life. Again, those are just the two big ones. And I'm telling you, if you can get a hold of just those two and begin to put them into practice in your life, you'll eliminate 99% of the distracting voices in your head and you'll position yourself where you can hear from your Creator exactly what He needs you to do to begin to move forward in your purpose and in your destiny. Because I promise you, there's going to be a lot of choices that have to be made. There's going to be time when you're going to be facing choices, and maybe none of them are bad choices. Maybe they're all good, but you just want to hear that voice of your Heavenly Father say, I'm going to need you to go this way. And God understands when other things get on that throne. It's the reason Christ came. Jesus came. He died on the cross for my sins, for your sins. What is the sin? The sin is when you allow something else to take the rightful place in your life that God desires to be. And you simply have to say, God, I'm sorry. That's, that's all it takes. God, I'm sorry. I did. I, I, I let 
these money problems. I let this job issue. I let, this, I let that get in there and move you out of the throat. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And he does immediately. And then you simply invite him and say, would you please take your place? Please take your place back on the throne of my life. It's not a condemnation thing. It's not a guilt thing. It's something that we need to practice every day. So we're going to practice it right now. Because maybe during this message, you've become aware of something. Maybe when you look at that throne, you think, I know it's there, and it ain't God. So maybe you need to have a moment where you just say, you know what, God, I'm sorry. I apologize. And just let it go. And just say, would you please come and and take your place on the throne of my heart? So I'm just going to ask you to stand, if you would. We're going to sing a song. It's an old song, but it's a perfect song for this illustration. So whatever it is, in your own way, as they start this song, as they start playing, just go ahead and just apologize to God. Just tell Him that you're sorry. Just ask Him to forgive you, and then let's worship through this song. Not difficult, not hard. It's just a simple little shift. It's just realizing that all of us, all of us on a daily basis, have other things that move into that throne. And so you just need to pay attention who's sitting on that throne. And then you need to take the power and the authority that is given to you by the blood of Jesus Christ, remove it from the throne, and put God back where he belongs. And just keep doing it. And just keep doing it. I'll leave you with one more thought before we start talking about these Easter invites. You know, that... The uh, 16personalities.com is the Myers-Briggs. Well, for me, on the, My- the Myers-Briggs, you get these four letters. And for me, I'm an ENFP and an INFP, meaning that the E and I are introvert and extrovert. And the only reason I go back and forth is I'm kind of in the middle. So on any given day, I can lean more extrovert or I can lean more introvert. I'm not extreme one way or the other. Well, the cool thing about 16personalities.com is they show you the famous people or characters that have your personality. So this is my list of ENFPs and INFPs. Take a good look. Tell me if you notice a pattern. They're all weird. They're all weird people. They're sports personalities up there. They're all weird, right? But here's the cool thing. When you know you are, you embrace it. You go with it. And you stop trying to be something that you're not. I probably shouldn't put that up there. Now everybody's reading every single day that's up there. Here's why I showed you that. We got Easter coming in a couple of weeks. And what I know is there are people in your life, you work with them, some of them are in your family, some of them live next to you, and man, they are empty. I mean, they're empty. And I don't know how you see that, I don't know what kind of behavior you see, but what I'm telling you is you're seeing that behavior because they're empty. And they need somebody that would do something just as simple as hand them a card. Give them an invite, say, man, would you consider coming to Easter service with me. I can't tell you how many people's lives have been radically changed because of an Easter service. So just consider it. Over the next couple of days, just pray about it. Open up your eyes, look around, you see, who can I ask? Who can I get to come and be a part of Easter service so that they can get introduced to the rightful occupant of the throne of their life? Amen? Amen. Lord bless you guys. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.